Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Cavalry Audio. My name is Cade Courtley and this is Can You Survive This Podcast. The show is designed to teach you techniques that will increase your chances of survival in any life-threatening disaster scenario imaginable. Join me each week as I challenge my guests to see if they have what it takes to get out alive. Knowledge is power, people. Can you survive this podcast? Hello, my fellow survivors. If you can hear the sound of my voice, that means you're still alive and it is my continued mission to keep it that way. Welcome to another episode of Can You Survive This Podcast. I am your host, Cade Courtley. Today, we have an amazing guest. Our guest is considered a self-help guru with both undergraduate and law degrees from the University of Michigan. He speaks five languages, worked on Wall Street, had a successful radio talk show, and is currently the envy, to include me, of anyone in the podcast space referred to as the Larry King of podcasting which, by the way, receives over 6 million downloads a week. Folks, a month. A month? It's a month. Yeah, it's a month. I wish it was a week. You know we could what? be having this conversation on my jet. Let's go with 24 million. Okay, we got that. Mm. So 6 million downloads a month, which is still amazing. I mean, that's tier one stuff. Folks, you just heard his voice. Please welcome Jordan Harbinger. Jordan, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for having me on. And by the way, where does it say self-help guru? Because I hate anybody who calls themselves that. So if it's on my website, I got to fire someone and change some copy. Okay, well, let's start with that. If you had a phrase to describe what you are currently doing or what you've done over the past five years, what would that phrase Mm -hmm. be? I honestly, I just love interviewing other people. I don't want to be in the spotlight. It's not that I'm avoiding the spotlight. I just, I don't need to get it. I'm not addicted to it. Like I think a lot of self-help guru type people are. So I just prefer the term interviewer. You know, my show's got former Al-Qaeda bomb makers and undercover FBI agents, or it'll have a neuroscientist. But it's not about, despite me having the worst title ever for a show, the Jordan Harbinger show, the show's actually not about me. It sort of begins and ends with that title. Because I, I'm on the show every week, three times a week. People don't need to hear more about me. It's about the guest. I like self-help and personal development, but I also hate the self-help industry. So there's a kind of an interesting tension there, I guess. 
All right. So for the 6 million downloads a month, folks, Jordan is an interviewer. There you go. <laughs> awesome. I I'm got, happy with that. I, as I get older, I find it less, less of a need to fluff my crap up. You know what I mean? I don't know if I can say. F- self-fluffer is, you know, we're, we're an adult show, so fuck it. But self-fluffer is worse than self-help guru. That is, depends <laughs> on your perspective, you know, but I think fluffing your shit up is for people who are under 40. That's the way I look at it. Maybe well, under 30. Like you look at these guys on Instagram and it's just like, here's me meditating. And I'm like, nobody gives a shit. Well, dude, wh- okay. What do you think of the selfie? I get it if you want to take a picture of the background that you're in and say, I'm at the Grand Canyon. If you're going to pretend that you just did a workout, but like your abs are all oiled up, then you got issues, man. You should go <laughs> to a therapist and, you know, work it out. Dude, I heard an interview with Judd Apatow and he said, can you imagine 20 years ago, if you took a picture of your meal, put it in the mail and sent it to your friends, they would be like, mm-hmm. you're fucking nuts. Yeah. <laughs> You're insane. Yeah. Oh, here's me eating broccoli and chicken. Cool, man. That's amazing. Like, look, if you have like a live cobra and you're about to eat it, yeah, post the video. That's insane. But if you just have broccoli and chicken, I don't care. I don't care. And I define me one person that does. Oh, there isn't one. There's bro, none. It's my third egg white omelet this week. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah. I matter. Yeah. Hashtag keto. Hashtag, <laughs> right? Like caveman diet. Hashtag working it out. Hashtag, hashtag quarantine. Insecure. Hashtag daddy yeah. issues. Hashtag. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, what are you exactly? Who are you trying to attract? Um, a couple exceptions. If you're a chef, take pictures of the food you make because Makes it's your sense. art. If you're a personal trainer, sure. Do a video with you using a weird home object to do a real workout. Other than that, I don't really care that you did 100 sit-ups this morning. In fact, you're just making me angry because I did zero sit-ups and had a burrito. I don't want to hear about your workout. <laughs> well, you could take a picture of eating the burrito while you're doing a sit-up, and then you're getting That's right. both, man. You've got the whole thing covered. Hey, so look, you were traveling around a lot as you were younger, five languages, yeah. super bright guy. The CIA ever come calling? Yeah, that's funny you should ask. They did, actually. And... I thought, oh, cool, I'm definitely going to do this. I'll have a lot of debt from law school and everything, but I'm, I'm still super interested in this because it's a higher, more interesting calling than being a corporate lawyer, which is ne- never something I really wanted to do. And I applied, and I applied to this program, and it was like clandestine service, I don't know about fast track, but it was like a, a track that was specifically for that. It wasn't like analyst and stuff yeah. like that. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Actually, those jobs are probably even more interesting. No, and they're not, the, trust me. I've worked not? with okay. them for years. I'm trying to be. Trying I, to be I know a, you're trying to say the right generous. thing. You wanted to be yeah. Jason Bourne fast track. Or at least I went to law school and there were CIA guys there, oh, yeah. but they all warned me against joining the agency and they were all clandestine services guys. And I thought that was kind of weird. They couldn't necessarily articulate exactly why they thought it was a bad idea, but they just said, look, you're not going to be able to go back to the countries you worked in. So don't go any place that you're interested in visiting. And then also don't go to a really boring place because you can't see anything or you're not interested. And then also don't go to a really dangerous place because you can't do anything. And I was like, that's true. So he's like, your best shot is get placed in an interesting place and then never be allowed to go back because they all got persona non grata from the country that they were in, which means banned. Basically, it does. Basically, if you spend any time in that business in a country, it's kind of like shitting in your own backyard. You got to find a new backyard. Mm-hmm. But another thing, if you had any amount of fun, like most people do in their teen years and early 20s, you're going to have a hard time beating the box when they start talking about your lifestyle. Yeah. So, so that was something I worried about, too, because 
one of my cleaner buddies tried to join the FBI and he goes, yeah, I went and did the polygraph and they said, did you smoke marijuana? And he goes, yeah, in college. And they didn't select him. And I was like, you're supposed to chase criminals and you can't have a J at a party in your freshman year. Jordan, What's here, going on here? Dude, so here's the craziest thing about this. And most people don't get this. And I got the chance to be, I saw both sides of it and I worked with these people. And basically the requirements to become part of the clandestine service and be a case officer they're basically looking for that person in high school who never went to prom, hung out in the corner, ate glue, and now they're asking you to go into a small room built by plywood and try and get information from some of the meanest motherfuckers yeah. in the world. Where's the context going to be? Right. I still sat in the corner and ate glue, but it was more <laughs> like, so maybe I would have been a good fit for this job. Dang it. Did I miss my calling? I think I might no, have. No, you found your calling. Man. To be honest. So I applied to the program and I didn't even get in or it's, I shouldn't even phrase it like that. I didn't even make it that far. What happened was I got no answer, checked up a thousand times. They kept sending letters to my parents' house, which I originally thought was incompetence, but it turns out that at least the story I hear from my CIA buddies is they know that your mom always knows how to reach you. So they just send it to your parents' house or your parents do. I don't know if I believe that. I feel like they just couldn't update their address book, but whatever. Then they'd canceled the program that I applied to. They encouraged me to reapply to a different program. And I thought, what agency can't just take my application and go, hey, we canceled this, but here's a guy that we would have picked because he was at the top of this pile. Why don't you put him at the top of your pile? They were like, you have to reapply. And I just thought, this is such a waste of time. That took like 18 months. And now I've already got other jobs lined up. I've already graduated. I've got interviews that are going well. Like I'm on my round three Wall Street stuff. What am I going to do with that? So I didn't even bother to reapply, but they still occasionally will send letters to my parents' house. It's like, hey, have you thought about serving your country in some significant way? And I just haven't done anything with it because I, I can't imagine now that I'd be that useful. I'm probably too old. And honestly, I've got a wife and kids in a business. So it's, it's not a great time for me to throw it all away in service of hoping that bureaucracy is not going to win the day. Well, look, it's a young man's game. And folks, don't get me wrong. I worked with some amazing folks with the agency. I really did. But the idea of they make it through the farm and they are Jason Bourne, it's just well, not no. the case. No, no. Like I said, my CAA buddies, they went to the farm and then they went to law school to right. have a second career. Or now they work for like anti-money laundering. And mm -hmm. I say that I'm interested in that stuff. But you're right. It's kind of like it for many people, it's like the military. You go in, you stay in there for 10 years, you graduate and you start over, but you're 34, not 40. Yeah. Right. Or you're 30 and not 40 where I am now. And it's Going in now, if they even allow it, would take me forever to get to the middle management level. It just doesn't make sense. But I have respect for those people. They are underpaid. Their job could be seriously dangerous or requires a high level of skill. So thank goodness for those people. I just sort of missed the boat more so than anything. I'm not really like angry at them or disappointed or anything. I think it's more the timing didn't work for me rather than they suck or I suck or we both suck. I hope that's not the case. Well, I don't think you missed the boat, honestly. I mean, let's look at what you're up to now. You you got into the podcast space early. You were early. first wave. And the insight, I mean, it's been over 12 years, 13 years now? Yeah, 13 something. Yeah, I, I mean, that sounds that, right. That's amazing. And look, you've had a top 50 podcast for the last 12 or 13 years. So you've been good at it from the gate and are still really, really strong, obviously. Where was it the... In, you know, I think this might be a good fit. Yeah, good point. I mean, I started off teaching 
networking and relationship development skills. That was the way that this show started, but it wasn't even a show then. It wasn't even recorded. And I realized that nobody cared about learning how to network and maintain relationships because I was 26, 27. Everyone thought, oh, networking, that's something that old people do. And I don't care. I'm just going to get my fancy law job and then make it to the top because I'm so special and smart, like everybody thinks when they're 26, 27 and at a law school. And then I realized that women cared a lot about networking and relationships because they already realized, especially with the legal profession, they're entering a lot of times like an old boys club and they go, okay, I need relationships. I need this to be something that I stick with great people and they help me get along. Whereas a lot of guys, we think we can do everything on our own. So my class was full of women and it was taught in the law school, which had no air conditioning. Half the time the door would be locked. And I was like, you know, let's just do this class at a bar because it's only a few people. So we would do it at the bar and I would start talking about body language and nonverbal communication. And the women were like, well, what do you think of that couple over there? And we started reading people's body language in the bar, especially couples that were maybe on dates, maybe not. And we would say, see, they're not dating. They're dating, but this is an early date and she's not as into the guy as he is into her, stuff like that. And the women were kind of blown away and they were also really good at reading people oh, yeah. like this. And then guys started to go, hey, how come you're at a bar five nights a week with different women? It's gotta be, what's your trick? And I said, oh, you know, you can come. It's a networking class. So then guys started to come. And then it was like, well, if you can read body language, let's talk about dating. And then it kind of morphed into this like dating and relationships class because that's what everyone mm -hmm. cared about. And I found myself recording my conversations and talks because new people would show up every day or every week that we had these classes. I'd burn the CD and I'd go, take this home and listen to this and then you'll get the basics and then you can come back next time and you'll have like a foundation for what I'm talking about so you don't have to ask remedial questions for everything we covered three days ago. And guys started to say, oh, I gave that CD to my roommate. He kept it, he thought it was awesome. Hey, I need three more CDs because my brother, my cousin, and my other buddy needs one. And I'm like, I'm not gonna get rich burning CDs in my dorm room. I wish there was a way to put MP3 files on the internet and there wasn't at that time. So several months into that, my friend said, there's this new thing called podcasting where you can essentially put a feed of MP3 files and then people can download it with iTunes and synchronize it to their iPod. Because remember, no iPhone existed. And that was the beginning of the podcast. It was just me talking about dating and relationships and body language and persuasion and influence. And I was blown away when somebody outside of Ann Arbor, Michigan downloaded it. I was like, who's in Africa and Canada <laughs> downloading this stuff that I'm talking about at a local bar? And that was when my mind really sort of opened up to the possibility that podcasting was a thing because there was no YouTube. Social media was like a handful of your own in-person friends on Facebook or like a guy from high school that went to Harvard and you found him on Facebook. There was no global social media other than MySpace, mm -hmm. which was big for a while and I didn't care about that. I thought it was like bands and perverts, which it was. So Jordan Harbinger, digital pimp. Digital pimp, digital pioneer. <laughs> You've done a ton of these. Who are, would you say? Self-help guru. <laughs> <laughs> Better than self-fluffer. Who are probably your top three guests you've had thus far? And that you've got to have a few that kind of pop out. Like Definitely. I mean, I was excited about Kobe Bryant, but who else? Ray Dalio was really good. He's a multi-billionaire super. He's the Steve Jobs of investing, people call him. Who else was really good? Man, there are so many really good interviews. Frank Abagnale, you ever see Catch yeah, Me If You Can? Yeah, absolutely. So he's the real guy behind Catch Me the If You IQ Can. That was awesome. The IQ of that guy at his age doing that stuff. I, I mean, people don't realize he was doing this stuff when he was 14 and 15. 
Yeah, he was done by age 20 because he yes. got arrested in France printing money or something like that, <laughs> or printing checks. I can't remember. Something like that. Crazy. Amazing. When I was 20, I was like picking my nose and trying to get a job selling CDs at Best Buy, probably. I don't Dude, even know. I was, I was trying to get to the mailbox first to grab that Victoria's Secret catalog before it showed yeah, up. Pretty I was like, Jesus. Yeah. Speaking of self-fluffing. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> you used to have a tour company and you'd bring people into North Korea through China. Yeah. What was the motivation for that? So I always wanted to see these weird places because you read stories about these places and you go, they claim the leader's done, played golf the first time and got 18 holes in one. They claim that he <laughs> like does this and that. I was like, these countries are so weird. None of this news ha can be true. It's all baloney. Yeah. So I wanted to go see it. And my buddy was a ship captain and he was always traveling and living in weird places. And he'd be like, yeah, I'm in Malaysia. You should come visit. And I couldn't. I was in law school. And then he goes, hey, look, they're opening up North Korea to Americans. I've got a friend who works at a tour company in China. He can take us in. The first tour is like May 15th. You should go. And I go, ah, I don't know if I can do it. Maybe next time. And he goes, there's probably not going to be a next time. They're either going to close it or I'm going to go and see it and then move on with my life. And I said, all right, I'm going to go with you. So I packed up, went to North Korea. And I was like, this is such a weird place. So interesting. So fascinating. Communist hellhole, honestly. And like a real communist, real communism, oh, yeah. you know, like shelves have no products. Electricity turns off at 9 p.m. There's no running water. Half the places like everything's broken and not working. It was just a miserable cesspool. So and I thought probably bumped into Bernie Sanders while you're there, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's uh, socialism and communism are not the same thing, people. Come on. <laughs> they can be close. Depends. Depends how badly you manage everything. But these central managed economies are horrible yeah. you don't want to be in a place that does that it's just it has to lead to human rights violations because otherwise you just can't keep the lid on things mm -hmm. you just can't so i went there and i thought this place is kind of like gonna be extinct soon and i know how i felt about people who got to see the soviet union or like went to east berlin in the 80s and they're just coming they're like this is amazing it's so crazy this is like this other side of the world that nobody gets to see and north korea is hardly the soviet union but i thought i want to go check this out so then I went back and I brought a couple of friends, one of whom was an author. I talked about that trip on my show. And then all of these people were like, you're going to North Korea. I want to go next time you go. So I, I did another trip and I sold it out in like 20 minutes on Facebook. And I didn't even need to announce it on the show. I just posted on social media. That was really cool and interesting. And it was fun to take a bunch of listeners there. And I talked about it again. And I just kept getting so much interest that I, me and a couple of the guys that went were like, let's just start a tour company that takes people here because no one has business sense that is taking people to North Korea. There's like one British company that makes movies and then sells tours on the side. And then there's all these people that take college professors and academics to North Korea. But there's nobody that's like, here's tour dates, here's what we're gonna do. And so there was this opening in the market. And so we started how to go to North Korea.com, which I sold. And it just took off. We had hundreds of people that wanted to go and check it out. This is years ago. Have you ever seen a satellite photo of North and South Korea at night? Yeah, it where literally like, is no like, lights. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's like Christmas tree, solid line. Totally. Darkness. Yeah. And it's I guarantee you that that's accurate because even being in the capital at night in a hotel, in a restaurant at 9 p.m. or whatever time it was, all the lights in the whole city, except for the hotel that you're in and the statues and the train station, all the lights go off. So the statue lights, of course, are on all night because they're on the leaders. Yeah. 
So they turn off all the power. And then around midnight or something, the train station lights go off because there's no reason for anybody to even be there, which is weird because the trains barely run anyway. I don't know what they were thinking, even keeping them on. And then there's just nothing. And in the morning, you'll wake up and you'll open the window of the hotel, for example, and you can hear people singing. And you're like, who is that? And you can look on the river a mile away or half a mile away and you can see construction workers with their arms in the air singing the national anthem or whatever they have to do before work in the morning. And I'm thinking like, what is weird about this aside from the whole country singing in the morning, which is definitely weird. What's weird about this? And I realize, oh, there's no engine noise because there are no cars. And it's like, <laughs> this is what a city that has no cars, no industry Sounds like there's no trains, there's no factory noise, there's just nothing hey, but fo- singing. Folks, anybody that's bitching about the United States right now, take a trip to North Korea, hang out for about a week, 10 days, yeah. and then come running back and kiss the ground. Hey, obviously, this is a survival-based podcast. Yeah. I want to talk to you. You were kidnapped not once but twice. You were kidnapped mm-hmm. in Mexico and again in Serbia, a place I spent a little bit of time in when I was in the SEAL teams. Talk to us about it. How did it happen? How did you get away? Were you like, man, this might be a one-way trip. I am fucked. Or as you've been quoted as saying, the only reason I'm still alive and kicking is because I have the ability to talk my way into and out of just about any type of situation. Floor is yours. Sure. So the first time was just dumb kid crap. That was like dumb kid shit, really, in Mexico. I lived in a poor area because I was 20. I was living in Mexico at the time. And I got into a taxi and the guy just dr- started driving me away from my destination. And the back door, I couldn't open it. The lock had been cut above the door. Mm-hmm. You know how like door locks, especially older cars, they pop up and they go down. This guy had like raised the locks up, cut them with tin snips or whatever, and then locked it. And then you just couldn't open the door. Like the handle didn't open the door. I don't know if they rigged that or if it was just the way that. Yeah, it, they uh, hit you with the childproof thing. Yeah, it was basically a child lock. Yeah, Yeah. it was essentially a child lock, but on like a 60s car. So I guess it was either rigged that way or maybe 60s cars did work that way where you had to pull the lock up manually. I don't know. (laughs) So I couldn't get out. And I remember being like, I'll pay you. Just let me go. And luckily, they didn't have mobile phones, at least not ubiquitous mobile phones in the year 2000. So I wasn't dicking around on Instagram. I was aware of what was going on. I knew where I was going. I knew we weren't going in that direction. But it's weird because your brain goes through this denial phase where you're like, I can't be getting kidnapped. And it's it's sort of a forgivable human fallacy because you, you look to your experience to map what's happening right now. And if you've never been abducted by a taxi driver, then your brain is going to be like, no, there must be something else going on. So you go, hey, where are we going? Oh, there's too much traffic. Okay, <laughs> but there's not. Oh, I need directions to the center of Mexico City, your cabbie, like that's like a Washington DC cabbie going, oh, where's the White House? I got to get up. <laughs> Let me ask somebody. You know, they don't do that. They know where everything like that is a big landmark like that. So I knew something was wrong. And I was like, just turn around. Let me out. He wouldn't do it. So then it started to get a little heated. He stopped in front of this like crappy cinder block building. And I thought, okay, this is the part where he gets out and gets his friends and then I get chopped into little pieces or, you know, 2020 hindsight, probably just big guys get in the car and pull a knife. And then I, they take me to seven ATMs and like make me get out of the car. But I was pretty nervous about anything like that about to happen. So I put my arm between him and the door and he didn't notice. 
And this is a 50 something year old dude who sits in a cab all day on one of those like wooden bead mats, you know, that cabbies <laughs> had. And I was 20 and all I did was eat carne asada and go to the gym in the morning and then go to the gym in the evening. I didn't have a whole lot to do. So I basically, when he made a fast one for the door, I had my arm that way. I was able to sort of reach around with my other arm. And if you're watching this, like I could pull him into the seat and the seat was pretty soft, but it wasn't soft enough to stop me from choking him. So I was able to get like my forearms around his neck and then the hard part of my forearm, like right across his nose, which hurts like crazy. And so he was trying to grab my arms and flail around, but then I was basically able to just put him in a sleeper hold. And since he was old, it was just, it was game over. Dude, the rear naked choke is so effective. Yeah, rear naked choke. I knew there was a name for that. Yeah, yeah, the rear naked choke. So then I still couldn't get out of the damn car, right? So I had to open his door by leaning over him between the seats, push him out, try to drive a stick shift 1968 Volkswagen Beetle, (laughs) couldn't do it. And it's not even just can't drive stick. This is like, you know how old cars, there's a trick to the clutch. You don't learn the trick when you're hopped up on adrenaline, scared for your life, and you've driven a stick once when you were 15 and your dad was showing you how to drive a car. (laughs) You know, like I didn't know what was going on. So I just gave up quick, took the keys out because I didn't want him to wake up, turn around and drive after me or run me over. Threw the keys, should have kept the keys. Threw the keys, ran away, got picked up by some strangers, I don't know, a mile or two down the road. And I just said, take me to the police. They wouldn't take me to the police because they were like, dude, what happened to that cabbie? I'm like, uh, and they're like, you don't want to go to the cops. They might bring you back here. Yes. You know, there's a lot of corruption here. You don't know if the cops are in on it. You don't know if you harmed that guy. He's not going to say I kidnapped him and he choked me. He's going to say you robbed me and choked me and ran away. And you're 20 what? 20. Dude. I mean, think about at that age, you had the situational awareness. You realized, okay, this is not going to end well. You took mm-hmm. action, but you're smart about it. You waited for the right time and then you acted. You're going to do very, very well in hypothetical survival world coming down the road. So how old were you in Serbia when 24 second kidnapping? Yeah, 24. So that was a little bit more of a serious situation because in any socialist country or communist country, at least back in the day, I don't know if they still do this in Serbia. By the way, I want to get this out of the way. Serbia is awesome. I love it. Got a lot of friends there. Love the food, love the people. This is just like some shitty government people that are just punks. Yeah. And they have like all these security apparatus people who are like militia guys from Bosnia that are all PTSD, like crazy war criminal mm-hmm. assholes that are like smoking meth all day, basically, because they're all screwed up. And they got booted out of their village because it got burned down. Like I have some sympathy for that, but now they're just terrorizing the population because they don't have jobs or skills or anything to do. It's like imagine taking like the craziest hardcore nationalist that loses a war in one place and you just say, hey, now you need to live in Chicago and don't cause any trouble. That's not going to be realistic for these guys, right? Uh, Here's a badge and a gun. So these guys, those are the guys that got me. But in those countries, you have to register with the police and tell them where you live. And every time I went to go register with the police, because you had to do that every time you left the country, they would harass me. They would throw me in jail. They would mess with me. They would try and extort money out of me. So I was like, to hell with these assholes. I'm not registering with the police anymore, which worked fine for like six months. And then the police started to look for me at the houses where I had previously registered. So like my friend's house, the other house, you weren't allowed to live alone as a foreigner. You either had to live in a hotel that had your passport in a safe because you couldn't keep it. Or I don't know, there were only a few places you could do that. You couldn't rent your own place. And I lived with this Serbian family. It was kind of like illegal for me to be doing that, Mm -hmm. apparently. And so... I went to a concert 
and these state security guys, they were harassing people. They started harassing me and my friend and they like looked us up and I was on some list of like missing foreigners inside the country. So they were like, oh, you're a spy. And I was like, dude, no, I'm 24. I'm wearing a freaking Hawaiian shirt. I'm at like a rave <laughs> called Exit, which is this big rave that they have. It's so, awesome. Uh, it's like that a- would have kept you out of the CIA right there, but we don't need to tell them. About hey, that. I was that- sober <laughs> as far as you know. So I'm like, okay, whatever. I get sort of like indignant with these guys, which is just not great. But no. I was also trying to protect my friends. There were like girls there and they were like, yeah, let's take these girls. They were saying that in Serbian and I didn't let on that I could speak and or at least understand Serbian because I figured that's an edge that I have. They're going to assume I have no idea what they're saying. So they might actually mm-hmm. say to each other like what they're going to do. So they were like, yeah, let's take these girls and like fuck them. And I was like, okay, these guys are like rapists. They're going to harm these girls. So I hauled ass and led them away from all of my friends. And I knew that was going to be a problem, but whatever. And so then they were like, you have to get in the car. And I was like, oh man. So I refused to get in the car because Gavin DeBecker says never go to the secondary location. (laughs) And they're like, you better get in the car. They got like physical, all this like threatening. They made me and my friend ride on the outside of the car, holding onto the running boards of the car, or sorry, standing on the running boards, holding onto the sunroof. And they were like messing with us. And it was kind of like, kind of they were having fun because they were like throwing popcorn out of the sunroof. They had stolen beers from a vendor and they were like, drink these beers. And we're like, okay, so we're drinking these beers on the side of the car. And like people are honking and biker guys are like giving us the thumbs up because it looked like we were just messing around. But then they brought us to this like safe house area. And to shorten the story, my friend starts getting his ass kicked. I'm just trying to stay as calm as possible and trying to change the subject. So they're like, you're spying. And I realized these guys are heavily intoxicated. So I realized they're not probably following some sort of best practices for interrogators at this point. They're just messy idiots. And so I'm changing the subject. I'm bringing up conversational topics like, hey, where's the best food for me to get dinner tonight in this town? And they're like, you're going to die here. You're not getting dinner. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, anyway. No, but seriously, like, where can we go? Like, you should come with us, man. And they were like, you don't understand. You're in trouble. And I was like, I know, but like, come on, we're going to figure this out. And they were like, uh, they were so exasperated with me, but they weren't violent because it would have required a lot of energy for them to be, like, it didn't make any sense for them to do that. It would have required way too much energy for them to, to stay angry and violent. My friend, on the other hand, was like, do you know who my dad is? Oh, you know, and they buddy. were just like, oh, you're like, good. We're gonna... up. I'm I was like, here. you're going to get, yeah, well, they took him into another room and he just got his ass beat. Yeah. And eventually I was talking and talking and talking. They were so exasperated and annoyed with me about this because they couldn't get any information. But also I was like not hiding anything. I was just d- playing really, really dumb. And I would pretend like I didn't understand what they were saying. And I was like, I'm so sorry. My Serbian's not good. Can you repeat that in English? And they were just beyond frustrated. So they focusing on my friend. And then I was like, hey, I'm thirsty. And they're like, too bad. And I'm like, I'm really thirsty. I'm really thirsty. I'm really thirsty. And then I just started coughing. And I was bullshit. I just didn't want to talk anymore. So I started coughing, coughing, coughing. They're like, all right, we can't even continue this unless we get him some water. There's no water. So they left because they just thought, They'll stay here. They're not going to go anywhere. They're locked in. And I just got up, grabbed my friend, and left. There was a guy who was working in the safe house who was a bartender because it was like a bar with a basement. And he was like, my friend told me later because he spoke Serbian better than me. He goes basically like this front door, this side door, whatever he said, is unlocked. 
So he was just like, get out of here. But he didn't want to get in trouble for letting us go. Mm-hmm. He was just like, go down and get out. Because he knew those guys were getting out of hand. And he probably also knew those guys were idiots. The bartender didn't seem like a real bartender. He seemed like a smart guy. And these guys were dumbasses. So I don't know what the deal was. But like, either he was an actual bartender and owned this bar or he was an intelligence agent and these other guys were like just dipshit militia nobodies and he didn't want to cause a rift with them on our behalf but since they were gone he was like it's going to be less trouble for me if these kids are not here because again we were young you know we were kids if anybody's listening to this folks this was this last four minutes of what jordan says is interrogation 101 you know really oh it it was excellent de-escalate maintain the communication de-escalate buy time start asking for simple things while the whole time you're looking for that opportunity Hmm. which showed up to get the hell out of there well done man so that's a that's a lifetime of experience with kidnapping and abduction by the time you're 24 years old but you nailed both of them dude you nailed both of them Thank you. That's good to know. Because one thing that happens when you're in these situations, at least happens to me, is you're constantly like, did I do the right thing? Did I do something wrong? What could I have done better? How do I avoid that? Like you kind of just, I would imagine it's like anytime if you got like beat up or robbed, you'd probably do the same thing. Like what part did I play in this? How do I avoid this? What could I have done? You know, so people start learning like karate, which great, good for you. But these skills that I had were far more important because you could have been Hoist Gracie and you wouldn't have gotten away from these two armed guys. They had to leave. They had to leave us alone. They had to give us an opportunity. Yeah. Only in the Matrix do you dodge bullets. Let's just be honest. I don't yeah. care if you're Kumite and whatever. But look, yeah. I mean, there is a recurring theme, Jordan, with people who survive life-threatening situations, whether it's man-made, natural disaster, and it's always the same thing. Don't quit. Keep working the problem keep working the problem, keep hmm. working the problem. Before you know it, you found an exit and you have in both of these. It's awesome. Honestly, Aaron. That's good. I'm glad to hear that because normally when I tell this story, it's not to somebody who knows what they're talking about with this stuff. It's to random people who don't know anything about survival or people who are like, oh, well, that's your fault for traveling. <laughs> you know? Well, like, I mean, <laughs> look, I, look, you can live in a bubble and that's fine. I don't agree with that. But it yeah. really is. It's it's keep working the problem. And it's up here, the strongest muscle in the body. And get on you, man. Those are two amazing survival stories, to be honest with you. Now, let's see how pathetically I fail at whatever scenario you put me into. And Let, I don't know. What do you let's, think? Let's get right into <laughs> it. All right. So, Jordan, we do a thing on the show called Hypothetical Survival World. Now, you've mm-hmm. lived a couple of reality survival worlds, and I'm very impressed with how you handled yourself in your 20s. So, here we go. Let's see if I can challenge you a little bit on this one. What we do is I will throw you right in the middle of a hypothetical survival situation, a life-threatening situation. You're going to have 10 opportunities to choose A or B, just like the old Choose Your Own Adventure books. If you make the right choice, plus 10 points. If you make the wrong choice, minus 10 points. Perfect score, obviously, is 100 points. And this is something, I'm, before I heard you go in-depth on those two kidnapping stories, I was like, this would be a good one for him. I think you're way ahead of the curve. So let's go mm. ahead and throw you into it if you're ready to go, all right? I'm ready to go, Jordan, yeah. I'm here not is feeling your... super confident about this, oh, but that's probably bad. Oh, are you kidding bad. me? Lean on what you did as a 20 and a 24-year-old, and you will okay. excel in this hypothetical survival situation. It is late in the evening. You had several friends over for a dinner party. There are 10 of you, all right? But it's getting late. It's time to wrap things up when two armed men kick in the front door and forcibly and tell you guys all to get on the ground. 
they happen to call you by your name. Ooh. Yes, two armed men, dinner party, everybody's laying on the ground, and they are calling you by your name. All right, so everybody's okay. on the ground. Here we go. Event number one, are you going to comply or are you going to try and resist? Well, there's two armed men, right? There are two armed men and you have eight guests, men and women, friends of yours, that were over for a dinner party. Oh man, how close are these friends? Because <laughs> if we resist, <laughs> a couple of them die. Like, maybe I mean, I'm that's an excellent that. question. You got a couple of bullet sponges and then you take care of business, right? That's right. Like, but... throw Angela in front of me and then run out you know, the No, I always door. hated your fucking wife. Yeah. Angela, look, man, she tripped and fell and ran right into the assailant and I ran out the door to get no, help. No, you got a couple of armed guys. Okay. And you're taking a look at what they got and you're like, these guys probably have some skills. Yeah. Well, I think probably do you have to comply for the safety of yourself and your guests? I mean, it, well, if I'm next to the door, I might bolt. But like if they're between me and the door, I don't really have a whole lot of choice. Yeah. And I mean, look, in this situation for this particular event, it's comply yeah, or try and resist. I think I would just have to comply because maybe they're just going to rob us, right? I agree. And it's for some of the same reasons that you use your logic in your real world survival situations. In early stages of something crazy like this, you want to try and de-escalate things. They're probably all amped up. You're amped up. And in a mm -hmm. situation like this, de-escalate like you did in yours mm -hmm. and try and bring the mood down a little bit because the more time you can buy, the better you're going to be. So you're trying to buy some time. So, all right, you're going to comply. Plus 10 mm -hmm. right out of the gates. Yeah. All right, Jordan, let's keep this up, my friend. Okay. All right. They separate the men from the women and drag Ooh. the women off into another room. Bad. Yeah. Right? And they approach you by name and they start asking you, hey, Jordan, open up your safe. Now, okay. do you lead them to your safe or do you deny having one? Again, they are addressing you by your name. So I do, in this case, have a safe. Is that what you're saying? You Sorry. Do, you do have a safe. Okay, so they know I have a safe. Well, they know your name, so you can kind of infer these guys probably have done their homework. Yeah. I mean, if all that's in the safe is some valuable items, what could be in the safe? It's not my kid. So, yeah, I'm probably going to let them go to the safe. And you nailed it with that. People over property always. Yeah. All right, so you lose a couple grand, maybe a sure. watch. Okay. People over property always. And again, the fact that they know your name and they're asking about a safe. These guys have probably been doing their homework. We call right. that. This isn't your standard home invasion or burglary. This is what we classify as a tiger kidnapping. Somebody has done their homework. They've probably been doing reconnaissance on you. They know who you are. They know your schedule. They probably knew when you're going to have friends over. So you need to give this a much higher degree of seriousness. Yeah, credence. It's Absolutely. probably the guy that installed the safe or his friends. I mean, how else do they well, know I, I have I tell one? you what, I'm trying to remember the name of the guy who's the mass murderer who used to work for ADP. He used to install alarms and he was responsible for like 25 murders. So Jeez, I, I, I will get back to you on who that is. But yeah. absolutely. You know what? Okay. These guys know me. I'm going to take them to safe. Plus 20 points. Excellent. Again, people over property, folks. All right. So you take them to the safe. So you open the safe. Mm -hmm. You do have a weapon inside that. You've got a handgun in there. Are you going to try and engage the guy? Or are you going to try and as you hand him the stuff in the safe, 
conceal the weapon. Engage I, right there or try and conceal the handgun you have. I don't even know if I would do that. I would probably say, you know that I have a firearm in here. I don't want you to get spooked and shoot me. Okay, but for this particular oh, I have to pick option, one of those. you've got an yeah. A, go ahead and whip around and engage immediately. Or in the process of handing them the contents, try and conceal the handgun on you. Engage or try and conceal. Well, I don't think I would conceal it because I would need it right away. If I was going to, you don't want to get caught with it later and not use it. Remember the part about buying time like you did for an opportunity that might be down the road. I see. That's a good hint. Yeah, that was a good hint. (laughs) Yeah, then I guess if I can successfully conceal it and he's not just going to go, hey, are you trying to put a gun in your hand right now? Right. Then yeah. If I'm just going to empty the safe, then yeah. I mean, this is an interesting question, right? Because if you think you're some kind of ninja, you can do one of those fancy disarm things. But if you're a normal human, which all of us probably are in this situation, yeah, I mean, I would probably just try and... If I can successfully conceal it, I'm not dressed in like some shorts or some crap, then yeah, I guess that's my opportunity to use it later, potentially. Absolutely, and you nailed it. There could be 15 different ways you could deal with the situation. You could, hey, it's there. I just want to let you know. I'm I'm trying to play along, take the cash. Yeah. But for this particular one, you're either going to try and do a ninja move or you're going to try and conceal it for a later date, and that would be the right thing to do, given these only two opportunities, plus 30. All right, we're perfect. Yeah, I don't have a lot of confidence in my ninja moves, especially yeah, when I'm like again, shaking uh, and everything. Matrix is a movie, it's not reality. All right, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's a risky move. Anytime somebody's got a gun on you, folks, the whole idea of, oh, I can pull it out of his hand. <laughs> All right, I'd rather take money and go to Vegas, but. Yes. Okay, again, buying time for a possible future opportunity. And that's what you're doing. Okay. You were brought back into the room with the male hostages where you were removed from. You hear the women in the other room with gunman number two. You hear them screaming. And you're like, shit. Right. Okay. Now, are you going to stay put where you are or are you going to engage the gunman that's covering you guys with a gun that you successfully concealed from the safe? Are you just going to stay put on the floor women screaming in the room are you going to take that gun you were able to successfully remove from the safe and engage the gunman that's in the room with the males yeah let me just clarify this so i'm in a room with somebody who's got a gun on all of us guys generally so let's say there are five men in the room laying on the ground gunman number one that was just at the safe with you is back in there and all five men are on the ground with gunman number one gunman number two who took all the women to another room you hear women screaming you have the handgun from the safe how bad is the screaming (laughs) (laughs) is it like they're scared or is it like absolute terror it's enough for you to be like okay that is a fucking nasty situation yeah oh man because that's a pretty serious because he could kill them too right or maybe that's what's going on i would have to assess like am i a good shot is this guy looking right at me and aimed a gun at me, or is he just kind of like walking around counting the money that he just took out of the safe? Hmm. I mean, the question is, is this the opportunity where I engage this person or isn't it? That's really the question. It really is. It really is. If the screaming's enough that I'm alarmed, I'm not just going to wait for him to like rape and kill the women and then both of them to come in here and get us. If they're separated, they're, they're weaker, right? You're on the right track. So... I would, yeah, I think I would have to 
obviously wait for a good opportunity to engage. Like maybe he's like banging on the wall, hurry up in there or whatever. And if I know the gun is loaded and I know how to use it, if I'm just going to fumble around with it, that's not good. All right. So what are you going to do about stay on I'm the gonna ground? I'm going to engage the guy, I think. Absolutely. Look, folks, it's a terrible situation to be in, obviously, from the moment that your front door got kicked in. But what you did was you bought yourself what we call a target of opportunity. Okay, you concealed it, you've been cooperative, and now you hear people are probably going to die. Time to step up. You engage yeah. gunman number one, and you neutralize gunman number one. Congratulations. Great. Plus 40, perfect score. Okay, Great. lives are at risk, and it's just one of those situations where, like, this is bad, I'm going to have to step up. And you stepped up, took care of gunman number one. Okay, so what do you do now? Yeah, that's do the you, question. No, no, but here's the deal. So there are five of you... Gunman number one is dead. Do you grab the other gun and the entire group heads into where the women are? Or do you send the rest of the guys out of the house and like, go get help? Do you grab the other gun, the gun from the dead gunman, go into the room where the women are? Or do you send guys and you'd be like, go get help right now? Don't I already, now I have two guns? Well, the gun from the guy you just killed is right. laying on the floor. So now there is the gun that you got from the safe and there is a gun from the dead gunman. Do you send the guys out to find help or do you guys go ahead and head back to the room where the women are screaming? Yeah, good question. So, and I know I just am ruining your hypotheticals here, but I guess it depends. <laughs> like, is anyone else at my dinner party competent with it? Like, are you at this know. dinner party? I don't know. You've you never know? been shooting with these guys. Yeah, so maybe because I don't want to get shot in the back by my friend or like have him shoot himself. Plus, we don't well, even know if the gunman's weapon works. Let's think works about or maybe five to ten minutes beyond this decision that you have to make. Yeah. Okay. So what will be the somebody's got to call the police? Go with that. Somebody's got to call the Go police. Go with that. Even if it's just one guy that leaves, like the wimpiest guy, like besides me, leaves and goes. And get well. Then again, I just killed a gunman, so I'm feeling pretty chuffed at this point. Somebody else might go call the police. Excellent. Police. So, so but not send, all of them. I mean, send some folks to get people who are trained to deal with these situations instead of yeah. you, you like, all right, dropped one. I'm going to get my second Conus kill tonight. So no, yeah, no, no. <laughs> get somebody out to get yeah. cops in that are professionally trained to deal with the situation. That's your best bet for a good resolving this the right way. Unless you had a bunch of SWAT guys over for dinner. Which right. you did. Yeah. All right. So excellent. Right. Plus 50. You sent somebody to go instead of charging in that other room, not knowing the skill set of the guy that's in there or the condition of the female hostages. Sure. All right. Plus 50. Here we go. You sent those guys out. The other gunman is like, what's going on out there? Do you mm -hmm. yell, the cops are on the way, or do you head to that room? I probably the cops are on the way absolutely maybe he'll flee right absolutely again you're buying yourself some time you're maintaining distance from what is considered the x or the threat which is the second gunman so you're maintaining distance you're buying time and hopefully he'll do one of two things he'll either run or just decide hey i'm done here so yeah tell him hey cops are on the way man is it better cops are on the way or freeze police, everybody get down on the floor and hope he runs out the back door? <laughs> That's another option. But yeah. if he realizes, hey, your buddy's dead and law enforcement's heading this way, your plan just went to shit. He's in his oh, brain Oh, he knows now. the guy's dead. Yeah, I mean, you can tell him that if you want to. But Oh, it, yeah, it, it's like your friend is dead and the cops are here. Yeah, <laughs> basically your option is, are you going to verbally 
have a verbal confrontation with this guy from a distance, or are you going to go rushing in there with no, your No, I'm going to have a verbal confrontation Absolutely. from a distance. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So plus 60. Again, it's time. It's distance. And you don't know what's going to happen. But now this guy, he realizes it's just me and the plan's gone to hell. So now <laughs> he's in his brain. Okay. Unfortunately, gunman number two comes running out of that room where the women are. He's got a woman in front of him at gunpoint. And basically he's like, looks at the scene, looks at the scene. You're squared off with him. You've got your gun up. He's got one on the female hostage's head. Are you going to try and take that shot? Or are you going to drop the gun and say, take me? Oh, man, this is so hard. I know. And this is brutal. And this gets into what you were dealing with earlier in your second kidnapping in Serbia, where you're like, no, 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 let, let him go. Take me. So what do you do? Do you try and take that shot to neutralize a guy with a female in front of him? Or are you going to say, hey, I'll drop the gun. Take me. Take me. Tough one. Oh, man, this is really tough because for my own safety, the best thing to do would be to take the shot. But for the safety of everyone collectively, like how good is my shooting? And there's a woman between me and him. I'm probably not going to be able to do that. I'm not well, a sniper. I, and I mean, try chewing on the fact that if you don't make that shot, you just wasted that woman. That's going to be a tough one to live with. Yeah. Yeah. But then on the other side of it am i just gonna comply i mean look at the end of the day he's basically saying i'm leaving with somebody i'm leaving oh, with her, oh, oh. if he just I'm... wants to leave us yeah. yeah okay yeah fine i'd rather go because i have a better chance of engaging and fighting than she does yeah absolutely and look there's more to this than just a survival question of a or b there's yeah. a lot more of a what are my morals what are my core values and stuff like this your home your party sorry folks turn to shit i'll go ahead and be the hostage now yeah, that's right. It's my party. I'm not just at some <laughs> random guy's house yeah, with strangers. You, know, you don't want to These be that guy who's like, man, don't ever go to one of Jordan's dinner parties. Those things just <laughs> turned to a shit show. Yeah, remember the last time and he let he let Charlize go with a hostage taker and yeah. that was whack. Yeah, he finished up the appetizers and went to bed. Yeah, yeah, he drank the last of right, the beers. So you yeah. are the honorable man. You take the place as the hostage. He rushes you out, throws you in the trunk of the car and speeds off. So you were in a trunk of a car that's doing like 50 miles per hour, getting out yeah. of your neighborhood. Are you going to A, as everybody knows, there's an emergency release on the inside of a trunk. Are you going to pull that emergency release and try and do your best stuntman dive roll out the back at <laughs> 50 speed? 50 miles an hour? No or way. are you going to disconnect the brake lights? Yeah, disconnect the brake lights. Boom! And why would you do that, Jordan? The, hopefully he can get pulled over or get rear-ended by somebody who doesn't see the brake lights well, on. Well, hopefully he doesn't get rear-ended because you're well, back not, in not the truck. But absolutely, the idea of, okay, my buddies who hauled ass have probably gotten hold of the law enforcement now. Mm -hmm. Law enforcement is now looking for this vehicle. If a cop sees a vehicle speeding away with no brake lights, it's a really yeah. good indicator of we should pull this vehicle over. Yeah, for sure. I would definitely get killed if I jumped out at 50 or super injured if I jumped out of a moving yeah. car at 50 and then run over by the car behind us. But like, I figure... If I disconnect the brake lights, it might result in a traffic accident that's hopefully just a fender bender and sure. not just a Mack truck driving up our ass and killing me. But even if it's like a pretty gnarly rear end, 
I might be injured, but like I'm not going to get shot by a guy. Right. And look, it's just like earlier. You're buying time by doing this and hoping that a window of opportunity mm. a little bit later will open up. So, yes, you disconnect those brake lights. All right. A couple minutes go by and you hear, Woo! there is a cop pulling this guy over. He pulls over. Do you and the guy in the vehicle is basically like, shut up. Don't say anything. Yeah. Do you, as you hear the cop approaching the vehicle, stay quiet or start yelling and banging on the trunk to warn? Dude, yell and bang on no, the trunk because the cop is, yeah. I mean, absolutely. He's gonna, yeah. He's going to immediately be like, okay, this is, you know, then they walk up with their hand over the holster. That's what they're, <laughs> they're listening for somebody kicking the trunk. Yeah, and I mean, it's that same thing. It's like, all right, I gave myself up to be the hostage to save another life. So you might as well stick with that mindset of all right i do not want this cop that's trying to help me out get blown away and then we boom we're back on the highway again doing 65 sure. 70 all right you have the chance for a perfect score jordan one Uh-oh. more you're plus all 90 right. all right i knew you're gonna crush this thing okay so the officer unfortunately is shot shit exactly poor guy do you stay put or do you get the hell out of that trunk Oh, that's a really good question. So I think probably probably get the hell out of the trunk. This is your window of opportunity you've been waiting yeah. for. I th- yeah. And, you- and the cops know where the d- officer down is. They're sending yeah. a lot of cops so there. This guy's tr- just going to want to... Are you going to try and buy a little more time and stay in that trunk as he decides to speed off? Or are you going to say, I'm getting the hell out of here right now? I think I might try and get out of there because... I'm not armed anymore, right? But the cop was. I don't know if I can do anything with that. But there's a dash cam. The guy's on camera. He just wants to get out of there. Why should I go with him? That's my logic right now. And that Why is, should I go with him? And that gives you a perfect 100 yes. points. Jordan Armser. Yes. A survivor again. And you not only survived, but you thrived in this hypothetical survival world. Dude, that was awesome. I was well done. You Thank thought you. it out. You stayed in the game with your head the whole time. And okay, sorry, it was your third kidnapping, but you survived <laughs> yeah, this third one as well. Charm. Dude, that was awesome, man. Hey, thank, thank you, you so much. That's hey, fun. Well, we do something on this show called an after action report. We do these in mm-hmm. the military after we come back from opera. Like, hey, what went good, what went bad, and what just went to shit? Did you learn yeah. anything from this podcast and interview? Yeah, definitely. So I didn't think of this before, but you brought this up. You said interrogation 101, and then you, you mentioned some other things about buying time and waiting for the opportunity. So I didn't think about that in a structural, that wasn't a tactical thing that I'd been thinking about. But if you look at every opportunity like this, is this going to get me more time or is this the opportunity? Then it's a lot easier to make decisions because is right now the right time to engage with the guy? No, it's not necessarily the best because it's one-on-one and he has a gun pulled on me and there's a gun in the safe. Like that's not really the best way to buy time and it's also not the opportunity. And then the other situation was it's me and five dudes or something like that. And he can't cover us all and his friends in the other room. That's no longer time. That's an opportunity. So everything is either by time or, or capitalize on the opportunity, right? Those are like your two options. It is. And one yeah. feeds the other. Right. But a lot of people are just thinking, I want this to be over as soon as possible, mm-hmm. which is not really the best. What well, you might get your wish because you get shot really early in the game. Yeah. It's not going to be the best outcome. Uh, yeah. Best advice I got as a young platoon commander in the SEAL teams was, Lieutenant Courtley, if you have time, take it. 
and you had the time, you took it, mm. and then your windows of opportunity opened up. So again, Jordan, that was amazing. Hey, buddy, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time. This is fun. Hey, folks, the best way to support our show is to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. You can also check out our YouTube channel for video content of all of our episodes. So ring that bell to subscribe. And if you have any survival questions you want answered, just leave it in the comments so you can be a survivor, not a statistic. Jordan Harbinger, you were a survivor and you thrived. Thank you very much, my friend. Thanks for having me on, man. It was a pleasure. Can You Survive This Podcast is a Cavalry Audio production recorded live from The Bunker in Denver, Colorado. Hosted by me, Kate Courtley. Produced by Brandon Morgan and Kate Courtley. Associate producer is Jeff Apple. Executive produced by Keegan Rosenberger and Dana Brunette.